after making a total mess of my life in Christmas of 87, uh, well, prior to Christmas 87, I, I drugged my dad back to the Catholic Church where we had grown up. I, I went through 12 years of Catholic school, uh, found out later they had done that and sacrificed greatly so I would become a priest. And when I got ordained in the Protestant ministry, um, I actually, my sisters told me I blew it because I'm no longer going to be a priest. And um, I think mom's cool with it now, though. And uh, judging from her Bible and looking at things she highlighted and different things in her life, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see her in heaven. And in fact, it was the, her prayers. You know, I didn't get saved till seven years after she died. And so I'm just encouraging you mamas who are praying, you grandmas who are praying, your dads, people who are praying, keep praying. You may go to the grave and afterwards you'll hear their words because here's what happened, man, when um, it was probably around 1987, uh, trying to get a new career when what I needed was a new heart. I, God had blessed me in so many ways. Anything I wanted to achieve, I could go and I could achieve it. And then I would get there and it'd be like a soap bubble. Anybody ever catch, Kurt, you ever catch a soap bubble, man? You know, you catch it, what happens? Pops. And it's like, well, that ain't it. And then I'd put my heart and soul into chasing something else and pop. It would just pop. And man, I had everything a 24, five-year-old young man would ever want in the world. And none of that satisfied me. And man, I'm living back with my dad because I wanted to go back to college and, and get a new career and get a new degree and everything. And anyways, ended up working in a wood shop and uh, drug my dad back to church. And we grew up Catholic, so the only church I knew was a Catholic church down the street. I did know about the Baptist church where I used to ride their bus just because I could get a popsicle if I rode their bus. And I would ride it, and then I would eat my popsicle, and then I'd run home. <laughs> Later, I got to be the youth pastor of that church. What an irony in that. But, um, but anyways, man, I drug my dad back to the Catholic church where we grew up and everything. And, um, and, and, and I, told, I saw in the back a, a Catholic study Bible. And I said, Dad, if I don't get anything else for Christmas, this was Christmas 87, I want a Bible. I have never had a Bible because that's not encouraged in the Catholic Church. And I'll tell you even more about that in a minute. But it was like, I want a Bible. And, 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 and I, he's like, what, are you going to be a priest? And I'm like, no, Dad, I like girls. I'm not going to be a priest. And, uh, dude, if they would have worked that girl thing out, I probably would have had a collar on and been a priest right now. But they, they, they mess that up. But anyway, so, so I'm like, no, Dad, I like girls. I'm not going to be a priest. And I, but I got the Bible, Christmas 87. And, and Gary, I'll never forget opening it up. I can remember even sailing to the Bahamas one time and stealing a Gideon's Bible and reading it in the sail, but I was trying to cut deals with God at that time, and none of it made sense. And in fact, if you're a Gideon, please tell them to put on the Bible, please take this, it is not stealing, because lost sinners like me think we're stealing it. And I was willing to steal a Bible, that's how low I was, to cut a deal with God. But this time, man, I'm like, God... I give up. God, I, if there's anything in this word, I, I need this. And so my dad got me this Bible, and I'll never forget Christmas 87, opening it up and just reading it. And it was coming alive. It was just like, oh, where has this been my whole life? And, and, and so if you've never opened up the word of God and, and you're done cutting deals and you really want to surrender and know who God really is, 
open up his word and let him speak to you through his word because that's how he speaks. And he started speaking to my soul. And the more I ate, the more hungry I got for his word. And now I'm watching TV. I'm in Orlando at the time. There's Benny Hinn there. There's there, uh, watching him, watching Charles Stanley, you know, on TV. He's up in Georgia watching, watching everybody and anybody that I could watch and just trying to soak in as much as I could soak in. And really reading the word. And as I'm reading the word of God, it's coming alive. And now he's giving me the desire to really make that the centerpiece of my life. This is it. This is the final authority. And anything somebody says, anything some, even a preacher on TV. I mean, dude, that's highfalutin for me at that point. It was like, even a preacher on TV. If he says something against the, that's different, go ask him. Let him explain it to you because you're new. You don't understand. And if he, what he preaches is totally different, man, walk away. This word is your final authority. And he gave me the desire and ability to believe that with my whole heart and soul. In fact, I could bring you this little white Catholic study Bible I have, picture of Pope in the front, and I started highlighting things. And, and, and how many of y'all like to highlight? How many of y'all have highlighteritis? meaning that you highlight everything. And then all of a sudden, none's highlighted, right? I'd highlight this in yellow, yellow, yellow. Then I'd go back and I'd highlight the yellow and make that yellowish green, yellowish blue, yellowish red. And then I would, the whole thing is highlighted. And whenever I start getting stale with God's word, I open that one back up and I look to see what God did in my life at that time and how fresh and how vibrant and how alive and how relevant the word was for me at that point in time. And I go back and I beg God for that. And when he gives it back to me, that hunger, that desire, man, I don't want to let anything get in the way of that. Chuck, that's why I started missing Dawn Patrol. One of the reasons is because I, I couldn't get out of the word in the morning. And by the time I'm done with the word, man, there's, now there's life, adult responsibilities. I could surf if we didn't have that, right? No, I'm messing with you. We're going to work that out. But, but man, so I opened up the word and it became my final authority. And there I am, I'm just in love with the Word of God. But I started immediately seeing things that in, in the churches that I went to, because I didn't know where I was supposed to go to church. I didn't know. I went back to the Catholic church, and I remember I went to the priest because I had some questions. And I said, look, I grew up, this very church, I went to eight years of your school here, but I grew up and I just got a Bible for the very first time. And I'm reading things, but... First of all, y'all don't preach very much because <laughs> I was watching TV and Charles Stanley, man, I'm looking at him, these guys, that's all they do is preach. And, I, and I'm like, first of all, y'all don't talk about the Bible very much. We have a liturgy. I get that. There's a liturgical service uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But man, you only have a little homily about the word of God. And, and so it allows me to kind of digest it. But, you know, I'm seeing some things that you're saying that I don't see how they necessarily agree. And I'm not arguing with you. I just need you to help me understand. I'm new at this, but I'm reading the word of God face value. Boom. Don't ever lose sight of reading the word of God face value. You know, it's stay like Solomon, a little kid with a big job, man. Just let God shut his Holy Spirit, show you what it says in context. And so I'm like, I got questions. I'll never forget this priest. I'm sitting across the table from him and he says, well, you know, that's why you're not supposed to have a Bible. I'm just telling you flat out fact of what happened. He said, that's why you're not supposed to have a Bible. He said, we don't really encourage it because you're not trained to understand it. 
So you don't really know what it says. You know, you can get a lot of confusion, and there's going to be things that are going to confuse you that, man, are going to really just mess you up unless you go to our seminary and you get our training and everything. But we've already done that for you, so that's why we just give you little snippets. We give you pieces in our liturgy. That's why we do that. And, uh, and, and I was like, huh, because I was having a pretty good time understanding this stuff. <laughs> so what he's saying, you can't understand. I'm like, dude, this seems like pretty straightforward. I read accounting books this thick to get my accounting degree. But again, now the Holy Spirit was interpreting this relevant live book that's sharper than any two-edged sword. And he's, he's bringing it into my life. And, and so when he told me I can't understand it, I'm thinking, dude, I understood more since I got this Bible in Christmas 87 than I ever understood in 12 years of Catholic school. And I'm not bashing Catholic here. I'm fixing to get some more things going here. But the point is, is that the word of God's my final authority. And he said, so, and besides, this is coming straight from the priest. He said, the Bible, it's just one thing. And it's not even the main thing anymore. He said, we've had councils, and he starts naming these different councils and these different groups of people that got together, bishops, cardinals, popes, whatever, and they've came up with decisions that basically overrule the word of God. It's their interpretation, and it overrules. So he says, the Bible's not even the main thing anymore. There, there's this, and there's this. So your best bet, stay out of the Bible and just listen to us. Come to Mass and listen to us, and we will guide you wherever you want. And I have already read in the Bible that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, help me out with that verse again. Yeah, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so I'm thinking that whoever doesn't have the son doesn't have eternal life because that's what the very next verse says. And thinking my eternity rests on what you're saying, pal. I've spent, tw I've spent my whole life, 20-something years, listening, and I didn't know this until I read it myself because you didn't tell me. Here's what you told me, and this is what he said even on that day. He said, here's the way it is. I said, well, what about being saved? What about being born again? I'm hearing about that. He said, well, all right, so surrendering your life to Jesus, that's something you do to get kind of like in the club, <laughs> to get in. Now you're eligible for eternal life. I'm like, oh, I'm eligible. And so now, now you get into the church, and based on what you do to, according to the church rules, that will determine whether or not you have eternal life. So getting born again, according to him, getting saved, surrendering my life to him, was nothing more than me, my initiation into the club. It made me eligible. But that isn't what I was reading in the Word of God. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is huge, dude. This is not some little theological debate, some, you know, academic debate. This is my eternal salvation. And God had already given me the desire and ability to believe his word was the final authority. And you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds and you see eternal life and eternal means forever. And he's telling me, no, it's the church determines whether you have eternal life or not. And I'm like, hmm. And I thank God for delivering me, and I walked out, and I never went back. And I'm not bashing anything. I'm not whatever. And maybe, you know, I have a sister who's Catholic that is saved in spite of her theology. 
But the theology is straight from the pit of hell, that the church is responsible for your salvation. That's what Martin Luther read in the book of Romans. <laughs> he read it in the book of Romans that, man, wait, wait, the church, we're not, we don't have that great responsibility to determine whether people are saved or not. It's, dude, you're saved by your faith in Christ. Give your life to Christ and you're saved. We don't have that. And the church said, because if we can hold that kind of power over people to determine their salvation, then we pretty much are, are, are sitting pretty, aren't we? That, again, is straight out of the pit of hell. So there's part of my walk. So I'm looking. I don't know. Dude, I'm in Orlando. And, and dude, and I'm in all cultures. I owned Orlando, the west side, Crime Hills. I owned it at that time. I'm going to little black churches in the middle of nowhere out on Old Winter Garden Road, and I walk in as the only white person with the guts to walk in, and they're like, whoa, he's a prophet. <laughs> Literally, I'm walking in places just trying to figure out where I belong. I'm trying to hear, trying to find out what God wants. Where do I go? What do I do? Because I remember a verse God gave me in Jeremiah when I started reading his word, and it said that if you seek him with your whole heart, you'll find him. I was tired of following man. I was tired of getting misled and getting sucked into one club after another club. And another. I did that with baseball and everything. Dude, this is my eternity. I'm searching. And God said, if I search him with my whole heart, I'll find him. Little did I know, man, I would be, I would be at work and there was a Hungarian Jew named Joe Diosecki. <laughs> God rest his soul. He's in heaven now. He came from Houston, came from Hungary before there. And he got born, he was a Hungarian Jew, and he got born again. Big old dude with a beard, and he'd just go, hey, Fred. <laughs> That's how, he was the best man in my wedding, by the way. Well, Joe, we were at work, and we worked in a wood shop way in the middle of nowhere in Oviedo, out in the woods, Slavia, in Orlando. Now it's a mall. You would never notice like that back then. And, and he, saw me bring my, he saw me bring my Bible one day. He's like, oh, Fred, you read the Bible. And I'm like, yeah. He said, me too. Let's go read the Bible together. And I'm like, okay, because I'm kind of new and thinking, dude, I just want to hang out with people reading the Bible. So at lunch and on our break, we'd go way out to the railroad tracks and, and we would go read the Bible. All of a sudden, people were like, what are you guys doing? We're reading the Bible. Before we knew it, we had the whole crew coming out to hear the word of God. And, and we're just reading the Bible out there. And we're, we're talking about it, and I'm growing spiritually from the Word of God. It was like church out of the railroad tracks, man. It was cool. And Joe kept saying, hey, Fred, why don't you come to church with me? I said, no, no, because I still was, had the Catholic thing going on. And if you grew up with that, you know, ingrained in you, that if you ever do anything against the Catholic Church, they can excommunicate you, and you're going to hell. And if you go to another theology, another religion, there is going to be a special place in hell for you, as my little sister, who is a staunch conservative Catholic, told me and my family about 15 years ago. So even inside you, you're like, mm, I can't, I can't, I can't. And, and, and it's only the Word of God that can dispel bad theology like that. And as I stayed more and more in the Word, I'm just like, all right, all right, this, something doesn't make sense here. And, and so Joe, he's like, kept asking me, come to church. I go, where do you go to church? And he said, oh, First Baptist Church of Pine Hills. I'm like, that's the church that I used to ride the bus with the popsicle for. I'm like, am I allowed to go? All right, how about I go to Mass on Sunday morning? 
And, and then I, I go, I said, y'all preach at your church? He said, yeah. And, and I said, good, because they don't preach at this church. And, and I said, good, I'll go, can I go on Sunday night? And I was like, yeah, you can go on Sunday night. So this one week, uh, I, I came and I told uh, uh, Joe, I said, they finally preached at church. They finally preached. And he said, well, what did they preach on? I said, well, the pastor preached a message saying that getting to heaven is a full-time job. Getting to heaven is a full-time job, meaning that once you have given your life to Christ, now you earn your way to heaven by how well you obey the church. And when I told him that, he said, hey, Fred, can I bring a guy over Thursday night to your house? I said, for what? He said, to, to, to talk about the Bible. I said, yeah, dude, anybody wants to come over anytime, come talk about the Bible. And that guy came over. It was a guy named Mr. Lewis Edwards. He just had a like 90th-something birthday just now, but I locked, when I saw him come in, I recognized him from Valencia Community College. He was the guy that was trying to teach me pre-calculus, that I withdrew past four times. I got in it, and I'm like, dude, I'm not going to pass. Let me out. The dude could not even make sense to me on this pre-calculus stuff, which probably a lot of people couldn't, all right? I didn't understand it until I took physics, but anyways... Anyways, I'm like, you brought this guy over. Uh, this guy's a horrible teacher. <laughs> I took his class four times and got out before I got a real grade. And this guy comes in, and we sat down on this couch. And I'll never forget, there's this hassock that we have had in our house the entire time I've been alive. I have seen my brother. I have seen me. We had done every sinful thing you could ever imagine on that couch. It was saturated with sin. And we're right there. And he opens up the word of God right on that. And he says, I want to show you something called the Romans road. And he said, hey, if you die tonight, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm thinking I, I, I want to. And I'm thinking about it a lot. And he said, well, I said, before I would have said, yeah, because I'm Catholic. And he said, well... He said, anything short of because Jesus paid for your sins is wrong. And I'm just like, what? And so he opened the word of God and he showed me Romans 6, uh, 3.23. He says, the way uh, in that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's done something wrong. Nobody's done everything right. And I'm like, yeah, dude, look at this hassock. I agree. You're right. Romans 6.23, then he came to me and he said, the wages of sin is eternal death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'm, he said, so through your sin, if you sinned once, and I'm looking at this hassock again, and I'm like, yeah, dude, I, 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 I've, I've covered the world for sin. If anybody needs a sin to borrow, I got one. But nobody does. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. But he said, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and a verse we're going to look at today he, he said, because I'm sitting here thinking, dude, I got to get better. I got to get better before I can come to God. And, and he's like, no, God, God loved you and died and paid for you while you were a sinner. You can't get better and come to God. You got to come to him to get better. And for me, that was a revolutionary concept. I can't get better till I come to God. And then he said, if you will call, Romans 10, 13, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Lord, call through prayer. God, 
the name of the Lord. That's everything he stands for. What do you know about the Lord? I said, well, I know what you just told me about him, paying for my sins and, and, and on the cross and ta- taking my, he said, do you believe that? And I said, yeah. He said, then call on him and tell him you believe that. And it says, you shall be saved, period. And I prayed that day on that hassock that I had done every sinful thing to, and I got eternal life, and I saw it in the word. And I got saved. That was June 27th of 1988. So then I start, again, I'm I'm going to churches. I went to Benny Hinn's church because he was on TV and he was supposed to be famous and all of this. And I knew there was something. I, I walked into Benny Hinn's church. And, and at the end of the service, he's up there up front, kind of like I hang out or whatever, but he's up there and he's famous. And I didn't know you weren't allowed to talk to him. And, and, and I walked up to him with my little Bible and I said, hey, so I'm kind of new at this and you preach this, but I was reading this. Can you help me understand this? And I'll never forget that arrogant man. He said, how dare you question the man of God? Guard, get him out of here. And he had me escorted with guards out of his church because I wasn't really allowed to go talk to him unless the anointed master allowed me to. And I was like, whoo, I'm not going there again. I'm not going there anymore. And, and then uh, I wasn't even going to tell this whole story. I ain't even preached yet, man. Then, so then uh, Joe invites me and I go to his church on on Sunday night. I go to Joe's church on Sunday night, and I'm scared, dude. I walk in. Chuck, you ever been to a church where everybody's all dressed up and you ain't? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's like everybody's got suits, and the girls are all, including my wife, man. Where was she at? Where's my wife at? Is she back here? No, she ditched service today. She's all right. I'll make sure she listens later. But anyways. <laughs> She's downstairs. But anyway, yeah, they all got these nice. This is like 1988. They, you all remember the 80s, big hair, big glasses, you know, the, fa- the little dresses and everything and suits and whatever. Dude, I come walking in. I got off a sailboat recently. I got baggy pants on rolled up. I got a Hawaiian shirt on with the sleeves rolled up, and I got a spiked mullet. <laughs> spiked mullet, dude. They were cool back then if you, you know, could actually pull it off and didn't affect your job. And so um, I'm walking in. I'm just like, all right. And I sit down, and I am a fish out of water, dude. And the only seat was on the second row right there, just like Austin. It's kind of, you, you liked it last week when y'all were hiding back there, didn't you? You're like, second row again? Come on. We bought a curtain just so you could stay up here, Austin, all right? to keep you protected from the sun. But I'm right up there. And and, and, and and on the front row, it said saved for the ensemble. I didn't even know what an ensemble was at the time. And all of a sudden, I see about, a, I don't know, six, seven, eight young people my age, and they come and they sit down in front of me. And they're, I mean, they're pristine. They're clean. They're not me. I'm not pristine, and I'm not clean. And I'm just like, I mean, I took a bath and all that. Don't get me wrong, but these folks, man, they're polished. <laughs> and it was like, they just look like church folks, man. And they're up there, and I was just like, oh, my goodness. And they got up, and they sang a little, oh, with their harmony voices. And one of them was Linda. <laughs> she, she was in that group, my wife. And, and I remember they came and sat back down, and I said, God, if you can give me a date with one of these, that would be a miracle. And not as a challenge, but less than a year later, I married the very one sitting in front of me, and we've been married 34 years, amen. (laughs) That's God's glory, dude. 
And it was a bummer when she said she wasn't into saltwater showers and no ice. I changed my degree from ministry, uh, missions to pastor with a missions emphasis, but uh, that's another story. But man, I remember seeing the pastor after, after church. He's there, and listen to this, the dude's in a white suit. <laughs> you ever seen anybody in a white suit? How many of y'all got a white suit? I'm not saying for weddings. This guy, he was just here from Arkansas, and he was in a white suit, man. And he just preached a great message. And afterwards, I got to meet him. Joe introduces me to him. And, and, and oh, oh, you know what his message was, Fernanda? His message that he preaches from Peter, and it said, it, said uh, it was all about godly women. And when he's preaching on godly women, I say, this hick from Arkansas don't know nothing. I've been to every bar in Orlando, and there are no women like this. And God said, you've been looking in the wrong place, son. <laughs> And that's the one he had in front of me. So afterwards, I, I went and shook his hand. And I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm glad to meet you, you know, and uh, can I come back? And, and believe it or not, there's a lot of folks don't know they can come back to church. Y'all been coming a long time, but church is a scary place for people who have never been to church or haven't been in a long time. How many of y'all would agree with that? It's a scary place if you come the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyways, I said, I didn't, I wasn't trying to butter him up, but I'm like, yeah, dude, you remind me of that Charles Stanley guy. I didn't know that was like really the top compliment. He's like, oh, okay. And all of this. And I said, I'm only going to be here six more weeks or six more months. He's like, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm I'm going to, in six months, I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm buying a sailboat and I'm going back to the Bahamas where I came from where I used to smuggle weed back and forth from. I'm going to go back to the Bahamas, and I, they need this gospel that I have. They need what I learn now. And I'm going to sell everything I have, buy a sell, but I'm going back to the Bahamas, and I'm going to uh, West End, Marsh Harbor. Remember Jack Tar Village? I don't know if anybody that old remember that, but man, over there, I was going to go there and just preach because nobody had the gospel. And he said, oh, wow, where'd you get your degree? Where'd you get your training? I said, and you know what? I was reading one of them little John books, and it said, man will mislead you. The Holy Spirit will guide you, and, and, and I'm not going to get any more training. I already have an accounting degree I'm not using. I'm not getting, he's like, he's like oh, you don't have a Bible degree. I said, no, no, the Holy Spirit's going to lead me. He didn't say, you idiot. You know what he did? He said, hmm, well, we're starting this seminary extension. We have one here, and it's accredited. I'm like, no, I don't want that. He's like, no, no, we're starting a class called Discipleship tomorrow night, fully accredited and everything. He said, he said, if, why don't you go to that? And I said, because I don't want to waste time going to school anymore. And he said, I'll tell you what, you go and jump in the seminary, just that class, and when that class is over, it'll be over before six months, if it's over and you decide you don't need an education, a Bible degree, I'll help you buy your boat. <laughs> I'm thinking, dude, I just got a sucker that's going to buy my boat, Scott. I'm thinking, woo, God, no, I don't need this degree. He said, but if you decide, I'll help you get your master's degree. And I'm like, ah, that ain't going to happen. How many of y'all ever said that ain't going to (laughs) happen? So I go to class. Here I am, my spike mullet, my Hawaiian shirt, my whatever. I walk into class the very first time through the front door, mind you. And I look back and there's all these guys with black suits, white shirts, black thin ties and horn rim glasses, whether they needed them or not. And they had big, black, thick Bibles. And here I am, again, Hawaiian shirt, baggy pants, flip-flops, and a spike mullet with my white Catholic study Bible. I walk right in the front, and immediately a bunch of them said, oh, you're supposed to be in that meeting down there. They were trying to send me to the AA meeting. (laughs) Which wouldn't have probably been a bad idea. I'm glad I went to the seminary one. God had already delivered me from that, but I walk in, man. 
And they were like, I said, is this where Brother Gene's at? And they said, yeah. And they're like, oh, they were ready for the show. Sit right up front, pal. I did. I'm right up front. Because I did learn the more things between me and what I'm supposed to pay attention to, the, the worse off I was. So I'm right up front. And Brother Gene comes in. They're like, oh, they were waiting to see if he was like, oh, hey, you made it. Hey, this guy's going to sell everything he has and buy a sailboat. And if he doesn't need a Bible degree, he's going to, he, I'm going to help him buy his boat, man. If he does, you know, need one, then welcome Eddie Frederick into the, into the class. And they were like, <laughs> they, you could hear the talk. So he said, anyways, introduction, he said, oh, open up to the book of Philippians. So I opened the front, you know, the index in the front of your Bible? I open up to the index in the front. And I'm looking for Philippians under F. <laughs> I'm like, and there is no F right there. Danny Pitts, a dude I went to Africa with later, Nigeria actually, and hung out with, he leans over me, smothered me. I still even remember how he smelled, man. But I'm just saying, it was like, he leaned over me, and he points down to PH, and he opened the Bible. And it was there that God spoke to me. And God said, you need a degree. If you're going to preach my word, you need to know my word. And you need to be able to handle my word. And you need to be able to systematically, you need to be able to have it in context. Because a text without a context, as a seminary professor later said, is a pretext. And that's where a bunch of people are out saying they're preaching my word, but they're getting it wrong because they're just making it say whatever they want it to say. It was there that God said, yes, you need this degree. So that's where I surrendered and got married to my wife, whole nine yards, all of that. But again, the love was for the word of God that he gave me Christmas 87 when I opened it. And I still have that love for God's word. It's our final authority. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds uh, from the mouth of God. And it's from his Bible. And, and, and again, it, it, Billy Graham even said at the end of his life, I wish I would have read more of the Bible than books about the Bible. You can listen to all the podcasts, listen to all the things you want. It's the word of God. When you open it up and you get into it, you then see, and he speaks plainly to you. That was all from the Holy Spirit, and somebody needed to hear something from that because that's not even what I'm preaching on, sort of. <laughs> but that word of God, and one of the first things I started encountering, one of the first arguments that I saw among the church was this saying right here that we're talking about. Once saved, always saved. How many of you ever heard that before? How many, ever, how many of y'all ever, again, when I got, I mean, I read the word of God and he gives us, what kind of life, y'all? What kind of life do we get? We get eternal life. In fact, at the time that we were doing this, you know what Benny Hinn was preaching? He was preaching intermittent life. You can go back and check his theology back then because it changed a lot and it changes back and forth and so on. But he was preaching intermittent. You get saved and depending how you're acting that day, if Christ were to come back or you were to die, it depends whether you're getting saved or not. That sounds like Catholicism and purgatory to me. But anyways, the word of God, when I was reading the word of God, all I kept hearing was about eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. Dude, it was finally all making sense, and now I get out into church world and seminary, and I get in all these things, and I'm starting to hear people say, oh, you're one of them once saved, always saved. <laughs> Dude, Brad, you're one of them once saved, always saved. Man, let me talk to you about that, you know? And it's like, I don't know, has anybody ever accused you of being that? Once saved, always saved. And again, they got rights to say it because what they've done, the church has erroneously 
baptized people and who never made they made a profession of faith, but they've never given any evidence of faith. And, and so, again, there's so many people out there who think they're saved, but they're lost. And, and then they go live a horrible lifestyle and then they come back. And, and, and again, it, it's, it's a religious thing. It's not a spiritual. When you get born again, dude, you're born again. You are changed. If I were to stick my tongue in that outlet right there, Ethan, you want to stick your tongue in that outlet right there? Okay, then you imagine what will happen. You stick your tongue in that outlet. Will there be an outward result? Will you be changed? Will something drastically happen? Yes. But if you just lick around the outside and tell people you stuck your tongue in there, are you going to be changed? No. And so again, even in Matthew chapter 7, it talks about, you, we've gone over this before, we've preached on it before, Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is dividing people, and, 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 and he, these people are like, whoa, whoa, wait, you're putting me in the wrong line, didn't I prophesy in your name, didn't we cast out demons in your name, didn't we do great and mighty miracles in your name? And he said, yes, but be gone from me, you workers of lawlessness. You and I never had a what kind of relationship? An intimate relationship, that gnosko. It all comes down. You want to know whether you're saved or not? Do you have an intimate relationship with the living God? That's what it's about. Man has for so long always tried to get a bunch of set of rules that he can obey where he can do his life and God's life. No, when you get saved, you give God your life. I'm, again, we'll talk more about this, but man, there's only two kinds of people. Either you're saved or you're not. And the majority, he says in Matthew 7, the majority of the people Many go through the wide gate that leads to destruction. Very few go through the narrow gate. So you look at it, and he's even talking about who are the people that are prophesying in his name? Who are the people doing miracles in his name? Who are the people casting out? That's a church. The majority of the church is lost, and I'm not being arrogant and saying, oh, just driftwood, we're saved. No, chances are some of you might be lost. And that's why I'm preaching with this passion, because I want you to know you have an intimate relationship. If you're lost, the last thing in the world I want to do is talk you into being saved. I want you to get things right with God. And once you know you're saved, I want you to see the value in salvation. I want to see how you cannot lose it. And so that's why today in Revival for Romans, one of the greatest things you can know is that you know that you know that you know that you're saved and nothing can be done to take that away. April, I didn't get permission, but that's all right. I know you're an introvert. I see you post those things. All that does is egg me on to talk to you in church, man. She's like, she posts a little thing. Oh, the introvert feels this way. You know, about, you remember that about greeting your name and all that? All right, well, I'm picking you. You grew up Jehovah Witness, right? Are the Jehovah Witnesses, are you born again now? Yeah, and Jehovah Witness? No, that theology's wrong. You're born again now by the blood of Jesus. And you know that you know that you're going to heaven. The Jehovah Witnesses, are they knocking on the door, your door, my door? Are they knocking on the door for my salvation or theirs? <coughs> for theirs. Exactly. And if you don't know that you're saved, but you're religious, you know why you come to church? So you can check a little box and hope, God, you've done enough good deeds for God to say, woo, okay, all right, they, they, they've done okay, I'm going to let them into heaven. And it's some scorecard. 
Like it's a bucket. And it's like as long as you can do more good deeds than bad deeds. And you're, you know, God's going to make the cut one day and reach down in the bucket. And as long as you know you're not down at the bottom, you're going to make it. I got news for you. The word of God we're going to see tells us the whole bucket deserves to go to hell. But anyone, and you know who God wants? He wants like me, like you, people who you can't get saved until you realize you are the bottom of the bucket. There's nothing you can give to God. There's nothing you can do for him. There's nothing. And you cry out, help. And he helps you. He grabs you and he helps you. And the God who saved you is going to glorify you. So he's got everything in the middle taken care of. So let's look at the word the word of God says in this. Always once saved, always saved. And that's true if you really got saved. Anyone who is truly saved will always be saved. And that's what Paul's trying to tell them here, because that's what the whole New Testament was fighting against in all of this. So check this out. Romans chapter five. I know you're like, didn't you preach the first five verses? I did. But now we're going to do it in context through here. And I'll try not to belabor the ones I preached last week. All right. I'll try. All right. If I do, somebody just go like that. Keep it going. Keep it going, Pastor. No. All right. So Paul says, therefore, because the first four chapters of the book of Romans, what he's doing in those first four chapters is he's pretty much telling you you're lost. The whole world's lost. You can't be good enough. You man, God expects perfection and you've blown perfection. You need a savior and you can be saved by faith if you just believe that Christ was perfect. And he gave you his perfection and took your imperfection. If you can believe that. How many of y'all believe God gave you his righteousness? How many of y'all believe? Yeah. If you have the ability. Guess who gave you the ability to believe that, Jesse? Christ did. So if God gave you the ability to believe this gospel, to believe that you were unrighteous and he was righteous and he required righteousness from you and the only way you could get righteousness was him to give you his if you believe that, he gave you that, and you believe it by faith, and that's what he's talking about, since we have been justified by faith. So last week, we talked about the black on this shirt re represents sin. It, it's sin that I have in my life. How? Can I cover this sin up? Am I can you still see black on my shirt? How about now? Can you still see? Can I cover it up? Okay, can I take it away? No, I can't take it away. And so there's nothing I can do to get rid of my unrighteousness. But Christ, the red stripe here, by his blood, he lived a perfect life on this planet. And, and he died the death of a sinner and never had a sin to pay for himself. But on the cross between 12 and 3, I believe, when it all got dark during that time, that is when God, that's when God the Father laid all the sins of the world on him. All of your sins, Brad, past, present, not only yours, but Julie's. Dude, who could handle more than that? And, and, and all of y'all said, man, look at that row back there. All of your sins he laid. Abby, can you even believe that? You, how would you like to have all your past, present, future sins laid on you? Could you handle it? No. And that's the point. You could not handle it. So you can't pay for your own salvation. He had to take the sins of the world and have them slammed on him is what the Hebrew says. All at that time, he took your punishment. God treated him like you should have been treated, Barb. And then he treats you like Christ should have been treated. He treats you like Christ. And that's scriptural. That's what the word of God says. He took your unrighteousness, the penalty, everything, and he gave you his righteousness. And now in God, 
God says, I count you as righteous. Tom, does that mean you're righteous? Positionally you are, but are you righteous? Have you messed up? Did you surf this week? Yeah, did you get mad at anybody? Did you get in a fight with anybody? Did you get angry? How about internally? You notice I'm not asking Chuck. All right, but, <laughs> but, but, but did you internally? Like I job. No, you're, you, you're not righteous, but according to God, he says, on your record book, you are righteous for salvation, for glorification. And you know what? You got this process of sanctification where he's trying to make you more like him. We're going to see that. But you're righteous. <laughs> Whether you believe it or not, you are. Because Christ was, and he put that on you. So since we've been justified by faith, you believe that you have his righteousness. We have what? What's the next word, Chuck? Peace. Yes. We have peace with God. You came into this world as an enemy. How many believe you came in this world as an enemy? Or you came in as a cute, cuddly little baby? Oh, I was explaining to Keone all about umbilical cords the other day. But <laughs> like, dude, that belt. Anyways, maybe it'll tie in here. But <laughs> anyways, you, 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 you came as an enemy to God. And through faith, being justified by faith, you now are not an enemy to God. Hey, Bill Cup. When you came in this world as an enemy to God, and he now justified you by faith, is the war, A, still going on between you and God? Is it, B, smoldering and can be fired back up? Or, D, C, is it all gone? It's all gone. There is no war anymore between you and God. Amen? That's what happens when you're justified by faith. There's no war anymore between you and God. But yet, I think as believers, we still have it smoldering in us. We allow the devil to do that where we think we're at war with God when God loves you and wants righteousness because he wants the right thing for you in your life. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can get this peace is through the Prince of Peace, which is Jesus. Through him, we've also obtained, what's the next word, y'all? Access by faith into this grace. Grace is this gift grace is everything you would ever need to do whatever God wants you to do. It's, it's a gift from God. We have access into this grace in which we stand. And this word stand means that we are in it. And, and Bree, guess what? When you're standing, have you ever been standing in something? <laughs> You've been just standing in it, down to build, you clean bows, right? Man, you're just standing in it. You're, you're in it. You're stuck. Are there some things that would not be good to be stuck in? Are there some, what's the best thing you could be stuck in? Grace, yeah. That's the desire and ability to do what God's asking you to do. It's the gift. You're stuck in his grace. You're looking and every, it's nothing but do, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. It's all awesomeness we're standing in, his grace. We're standing in it, and it's a permanent standing. Have there ever been things you're standing in that you like were glad when you got out of? Grace is not one of those. We're standing, we have access. Think about the Old Testament. Uh, Rick, how many times did the Old Testament priests get to go into the Holy Holies? Once a year on day of time, right? Once a year, right? And, and in fact, you can even go look in Exodus when they're building his garments. They told Moses and them, I looked it up yesterday, I think it's Exodus 25, somewhere around there, but said, man, put pomegranates on and put bells on the bottom of his outfit. Bells on the bottom of the priest's outfit. 
And, and so when the priest went in, he, there was a 18, 20-inch thick curtains between where he could go, the holy place and the holy of holies where God's presence was in the ark. And don't, watch, don't believe Indiana Jones, man. <laughs> but I'm just saying there was an ark. And that's where God's presence was. And what was on top of the ark? The What kind of seat? The mercy seat. You know what mercy is? Mercy's not getting what you deserve. You know what grace is? Getting more than you deserve. Hey, Kirsten, do you want to go into a mercy room or a grace room? Which one would you rather be standing in? A grace room. A grace room as you walk in, it's like, whoa, this is all for me. Dude, Trent, for me, when I'm carnal, it is the charcuterie room. <laughs> Did I say that right? It's like, dude, oh, here's seafood charcuterie. Here's delicatessen charcuterie. Here's sushi charcuterie. Can you imagine? Again, but it's even better than that because this is spiritual stuff. It's just all for you. Now, you know what the mercy room is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Have you ever walked into your parents' room? Y'all think back to your teenage days. You ever walk into the house after being out and, and think, oh, I hope they don't catch me. Oh, I hope I, I, hope I, don't, uh, I hope I don't get what I really deserve. Did anybody identify with that? Anybody? All right, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you pious people, talk to the people with their hands up to get that illustration later. But, yeah, mercy. Mercy's great not getting what you deserve, but that's our life with God often is, oh, God, I hope God doesn't whack me with the fly swatter. Oh, I hope God doesn't. I hope this stuff. Instead, he says, man, we're covered in grace. He loves us. He's surrounding us with his love and everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Man, understand whatever you're going into, it's an awesome thing. Does it always feel awesome, Scott and uh, Erica? No, but it is. You're going to see that. And so through him, we have obtained access. You know, the Holy of Holies, when the priest walked in, he's swinging incense, bro. Swinging incense, representing the prayers of the people, hoping that God wouldn't do what, Jesse? Kill him. That's what Moses said. I think it's Exodus 25. But that God wouldn't kill him. That's why they had the bells on. And history tells us they put a rope around his foot. Why in the world would they put a rope around his foot? Yeah, dude. Who else is going in after him? How many of y'all want to go in after him after God knocked him out? He's the high priest. And if God didn't accept that sacrifice, the one time they could go into the holy, holy in God's presence. And if God didn't accept it, he killed him. And, and somebody had to drag him out. And you knew they did because you heard the bells stop. How about you coming to God? When can you come to God? Claudia, when can you come to God? Whenever you want. That's the access. You come to him and not only in mercy. Yes, there's times God have mercy on me. I'm an idiot. Anybody ever have that prayer? Yeah. But he looks down and says, I got better than mercy. I got grace. I got everything you need not to be an idiot. How many of y'all like that sales pitch? <laughs> I got everything you need not to be an idiot anymore. You just got to access it. There it is. That's what you're coming into. So, man, that's access to him all the time. When Jesus died on the cross after he paid for all those sins, what did they notice? There was an earthquake. And what happened in the tabernacle at that point or the temple? The curtain split, big, thick curtain. And did, did man rip it from the bottom down to get access? No, it ripped from where? The top down. God ripped it to give man access to him. That's what you have. He's given you this. Once you're saved, you're saved. You have access to God. He's covered you, given you his righteousness. 
It's forever. It's yours. He's given it to you. He's not taking it away, is he? So through him, we have also obtained access. We have his righteousness. We have access to him by faith into this grace which we stand. And look at this. How many of y'all have ever done something? Once you got saved, once you started following God, how many ever been walking with God and you did something that was like, whoo, who did that? Because <laughs> you know it's not what you would have normally done. Chuck, you tell me stories about it all the time, right? I don't want to go into the whole like burglar in your underwear story again, but man, you were going to turn your dog loose on this guy. And all of a sudden, something inside said, no, I'm not going to do that to him. You know what that's some, who was that something inside? It's God's Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever had God lead you to do something and you knew it was him? And it was goodness, right? You're just like, whoa, that's not what I would have done. <laughs> oh, that's not what I would have done before Christ for sure. That's not, Gavin, how about you, man? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Both hands up. And, and, and so look what he says, man. So we are in the grace in which we stand. Grace is when God says, no, do this instead of that. And we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. Gavin, when you had your little encounter at the DMV with that lady, man, and, and I want you to have another one, bro. You could not stop talking about it. You're rejoicing in what God did, and it gives you hope. MJ, you ever have God do crazy stuff in your life? All the time, and you're posting, and you're talking, and that's what we're supposed to do is be encouraging each other. God did that crazy stuff, and was it you or God? Undeniable. Is there a chance that a little bit could have been you? None of it, because you know you. And that, it, that you did, none of you qualified for that. See, there's some prideful people in here that think they might have had a little part in it. But if they're really honest, they'll realize, no, it was just God. And dude, if God takes care of them little things, what else, if he takes care of the little things, what's he going to take care of? The big things. And you get hope. That's what he's talking about right here. By faith into this grace which we stand in, we, then we rejoice and we have hope. And I know I blasted hope compared to belief the day before, but look what kind of hope we have. We have hope in the glory of God, that God's going to glorify us one day. Whew. Can you guys believe this guy one day is going to be like Christ? <laughs> he's going to actually be perfect. Not like Sophie thinks he will, but I'm just saying, he's going to really be perfect. Can you believe he's going to, can you even believe you're going to be perfect one day? Isn't that crazy? Selma, she already thinks she is, right? No, I'm just messing. I'm messing with you. She just has confidence. She has to to boss those boys around in the boat, right? But I, I know, you, you know who you are in Christ. And anything good in you is Christ. Yeah, because I saw you before Christ. Now, <laughs> through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. And it may, every time we do something, we know that God has led us to do. It's like, woohoo, I got hope. And one day I'm going to be able to do that all the time. Anybody here grateful that one day you will never, ever be able to get in trouble again? Yeah, I know you would be. In, yeah, yeah. You're my kind of people, dude. That's going to be the most awesome thing of heaven because, I don't know, some of us just have a hard time staying out of trouble. We just find it. The more we try to stay out, the more, more we get in. There, there, Rums will tell something about that, but man, every time you actually do the right thing and you know it's God doing it, it gives you hope to know that there's more where that came from. Now, look at this next part. We preached on it last week. We still haven't got into the new stuff. Not only that, but we rejoice. We don't just rejoice when God gives us stuff to do that we're like, whoa, that was God. We also rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing that suffering produces endurance. And we'll go to the next verse here in a minute and follow through on this. But we rejoice in our sufferings. You know why? Because God uses those sufferings to, one, make us not fall in love with this world, which is going to disappoint us. But two, he used those sufferings to make us strong. This was so cool on Monday night Bible study. Um, we were in Revelation. We were talking about Jesus being the root and the star and all this. And Heidi and Terry Szymanski, any of y'all know Heidi and Terry Szymanski? They live in Minnesota, Minneapolis. Well, they were at, in California, and they were at an uh, apologetics conference. And we were talking about it. They said, oh, hey, hey, when we're in Phoenix Airport, we're going to jump on Zoom and we'll be on the Bible study. Okay, cool. They were there. And I am so glad they were because they said, you'll never guess. This guy at this conference was talking about the biodome. Y'all know what the biodome is? Where they created this thing. They were going to artificially create everything. And in the biodome, supposedly, and they even showed on Wikipedia, so you know it's true. All right? But <laughs> uh, at least Abraham Lincoln said you can believe everything on the internet in Wikipedia. But um, anyways, in the biodome... They had trees that would grow, and these trees would grow to a certain height, and guess what? They'd fall down. You're like, what? And then they'd grow to a certain height, and they'd fall, and all the trees would only grow to a certain height, and they'd fall down. And it was like, oh, you know what we need to do? We need to get some better fertilizer. We need to, we need to nourish them, because that's the answer to everything, right? The answer to everything is, 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 is you know, we're going to nourish them. We're going to create something to make them stronger. They would still grow to a certain height and fall down. Anybody know, you know this story? Anybody know why those trees were falling down when they got to a certain height? They, yeah, you were in this. You, yeah, Michelle. Why, why were they? They had, no, they had no strength in their roots. And you know how the tree, they found out in the biodome, there was no wind. So as the tree was growing up, it grew up without any, any resistance, any force against it. There was nothing to make it tougher as it grew up. It takes wind to make the roots strong. And that's the resistance, just the same way with you with working out. What if you worked, hey, let's all do an air workout, all right? Right? (laughs) Would that be good, Julia, an air workout? No, you got to put some resistance in it. Because as you put resistance in it, it builds muscle. It builds you. It strengthens you. So isn't that cool? The trees could not grow any taller without falling over because they had no root system. The only way they could truly grow a root system was to have wind against them their whole life. So when God puts wind, when you're paddling, Katie, man, when you're paddling, are you like, oh, good, there's wind against me. I've been out here all day. But again, what's God doing to your muscles? He's making you stronger. And then you got brand new newbies out there on paddleboard tours who are never done it. They're like, I can't paddle. And you're like, shut up. You know, because you've been doing it. Now you got strong, right? That's what God wants to do for us spiritually. And that's why he says, man, when something, Brad, when something comes in your life, just be, God's making me stronger. At least tell her that, right? I'm just, yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Because look, it's not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing, knowing for sure, not hoping, not speculating, but knowing that suffering produces endurance. What does your Bible have for the word endurance? Anybody? A different word? A different word? Begins with P and ends with patience. (laughs) Patience, yes. How many of y'all could use some patience? All right, let me ask you, stop, stop. How many of y'all are sitting next to somebody that could use some patience? Point to them right now. No? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we could all use some patience, right? Patience. 
And, and, and so I can't, I, I thought it was Spurgeon, but then maybe it was Chuck Smith. I'm not sure who this, to attribute this quote to, but I was reading about patience and he said, look, if patience can only come by trials, if they can only come by trials and I realize how badly I, do you need patience? I was with your kids just two days, man. God bless you. I, I'm glad as grandparents, we give them back on Saturday afternoon. They're awesome. They put life in you, and then they suck it right back out. But <laughs> it's awesome. I love them. You got good kids. You're doing a great job, Mama, but you got to be tired. <laughs> you could use some patience because Keone is reaching a, tena a tenacious age right now, pushing all the limits and, 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 and all of that. So this guy said... If I need patience so bad, and the only way I can get it is through trials, bring them on. What do you think about that, Stephen? If I need patience, and the only way to get them is trials, bring them on. Are you ready, to, are you ready for that prayer, Stephen? <laughs> you lying right now. I know you. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. If I need patience so bad, and the only way to get it is through trials, bring them on. You don't have to ask for new trials. You're not, it's not some masochistic thing. Take the trials you have and realize what God is doing for you. He's building patience. And then look what happens next. Um, he, it produces endurance. That's patience. That's the word patience. And patience produces character. Some of your versions may say provable character, because that's what it actually says in the Greek, is provable character. This word, in fact, sometimes it's even translated as just provable. So here it is, Chuck. It produces patience, and it's like next time you get caught in this situation, it's like, okay, I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to act that way. I have provable character that God's grace is in my life, and I don't have to respond the way I did before. And then you do respond the right way. So the next time you're in your underwear and you walk out in your backyard and there's a dude with a rifle, it's like, hey, I don't have to feed mom with my dog. I already been through this, dude. I know what to do. I'm just going to chase him. <laughs> but I'd run from you if you were in your underwear, bro. I'm just saying. But, but, but literally, that's, so that's what he's saying is you get patience and it produces proof something. It's a test that proves things. Um, it's a term that, all right, help me out with this word. The people that test metals, metallurgists, metallur, metallurgists, metallurgist, metallur, uh, how do you say that word, y'all? The dude, okay, good, y'all are as bad as me on that. All right. The guys who, produce, who test metals, they take a metal, I know because I'm the pawn shop pastor, and people bring gold in, they want to sell it, and what do they do? They put a little test on it, and they're like, oh, here it is. And then they even give them a card, and so next pawn shop, next pawn shop, they got a reputable card. It's like, it's already been tested. We know what this is. It's crap. No, I'm just saying, no, we know what this is. It's gold. This is this much gold. This is this much silver. This is, this is this quality, right? So they have it. It's already been tested. So you know what it is. And that's where you're supposed to be at. When he gives us a test, we rejoice because it's going to give us patience. We wait for God instead of taking matters into our own hands and doing it our way. We wait for God to actually do it. And then now we're like, okay, well, if I wait next time, this is how God's going to do it. But how many of you, when the tests come, you like, wait, you wait, and you give God 10 more minutes. <laughs> God, you got two minutes to come through. All right, God, I'm doing it myself. Did you just develop any provable character? No. Most of us don't have it because we don't wait. We take matters in our own hands. 
That's why we don't see miracles. That's why we don't see God do things so supernatural that he can be blamed for us because we won't wait. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> we, we, we don't wait. But it has to be. Who said it has to be done now? On your self-imposed deadline? We got to wait on God. Wait, because God does it at what time? What's the word? The perfect time. Endurance produces that patience, waiting on God, doing what he wants you to do while you're waiting. It's going to produce provable character. I know I can wait on God again because this is what he did last time. If you never wait on God, you don't know what he can do. You only know what you can do when you get impatient. And look at this. So here it is, what he's saying. God is, we rejoice God's given us a tough time, Brad. We rejoice, yes! <laughs> and I'm waiting on you, God. I'm waiting on you. Like Terry, I like Terry's meme. Terry Sturgill has a meme he puts out every once in a while. It says, dude looking around a corner saying, it's me checking on the thing I put in God's hands, right? <laughs> but you're waiting on God. You're waiting, doing what he wants you to do in the situation. Once he does it, now you have provable character that, woohoo, this is what happens when you wait. And it produces what? What's that four-letter word up there? Hope. And, and, and it's a different hope than we learned in the last chapter. Look at what kind of hope this is. It's a hope that's not put us to shame. It's a hope that's not going to put us to shame. This is a hope that gives us more hope, that gives us belief, where we know that we know that we know what God's going to do. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. The only way you can be obedient to God in the right way, the only way, way you can experience love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, any of those things is because he's given you a Holy Spirit. And in order to experience that, you have to wait on God because the minute you take it into your own hands, the minute God just says, go ahead, the Holy Spirit says, just wait. Oh, and it's going to be good. Any of y'all ever have peace from the Holy Spirit in a situation that shouldn't be peaceful? Anybody ever have love in a situation that's not very loving? We're called to love our enemies, right? Anybody have joy in a situation that's not so joyful? How about self-control when you used to blow up? How about meekness when you could totally dominate, but God just says, sit back, let me work. That's something that, if you've ever experienced that, that's what he says you experience by being saved. This is what he's doing for us. God's love has been poured into our heart. Remember last week I wanted to pour water on Ashley, and I, that's where we kind of ended. You're like, dude, you ain't even got into the new stuff, and it's 10 after 11 already? Oh, it won't take that long. All right, but <laughs> we might not even get to there, but we're going we're gonna to chop this apart, and I want you to get this because God's just revealing stuff to me every week about it. But his love has been poured, not sprinkled, it's poured love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's, God's, it's Christ's love gift to us. It's a down payment. Anytime we're walking in the Spirit, Tiny, that, when we're really walking in the Spirit, that's what it's going to be like all the time in heaven. It's pretty good when it happens here. And if you've never had that happen, man, check your salvation. If you know you're saved, then, then, then man, be patient and wait on Him. So he says, man... <laughs> It's just going to continue to, to, that's how we get through trials, is, is looking at glory. We get through trials by knowing what's ahead of us, the, best, the, the glory that's coming. 
So look what he says now, verse 6. For this is how you know. Here's where he's kind of coming down to say, you know that you know that you know. That once saved, always saved, if you've really been saved. For while we were still weak. <laughs> what does it mean to be weak, y'all? Hey, Julie, what does it mean to be weak? Have no strength. And he's talking real weak. He said, well, you, have, you can't not sin. <laughs> you can't not do the wrong thing. You can't not do the right thing. You, you, have no, you can't save yourself. You have no strength to do anything spiritual. All the devil's got to do is drag a little right bait in front of your face, and there you go. You have no strength. He says, while we were weak, before we were saved, at the right time. What's the right time? The perfect time. Christ died for the who? For the ungodly. So how many of y'all did he die for? Let me see your hands. Yeah. He died for you. We're ungodly. He died. Did Austin, was Austin's hand up? Was your hand up, man? All right, good, good. Because if it wasn't, you just lied, and that was ungodly. And it was in church. That's double ungodly. No, I'm just... But we're ungodly. You know, here's this concept. 20-something years of sharing my faith and sharing the gospel with people, I hear so many people say, oh, I, I got to get this straightened out. I got to quit doing this, or I got to start doing this. I got to straighten some things out before I can come to God. But you can't straighten things out until you do come to God. You're weak. You're ungodly. You need His strength. You can't, he's not saying, okay, clean yourself up and then come to me. No, you're a mess. And when you realize you're a mess and you're nothing but a mess and you need him for salvation, then you can get saved. But as long as you think you have something to offer, you're not ready to be saved yet because you still think you got something to do with it. Look at this next part. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might even die. Yeah. Uh, you know, would you, would you die for her? You don't know. Exactly. But you notice he didn't just say, heck yeah. <laughs> he didn't say, we don't know. It might happen, you know. What if, how many of y'all would die for your enemy neighbor? <laughs> Anybody have an enemy neighbor? Oh, come on. Anybody have, okay. Would you just like take the bullet for your enemy neighbor? Or would you be like, I'm, I'm just being honest here. The enemy coworker, the enemy whatever. And by the way, we're supposed to love our enemy, so we should, right? Again, he said, man, even in our world, in our culture, few would even do this, man. He said, but look at this. This is the verse that changed my life right here because I kept trying to clean myself up to be righteous enough to come to God. And it said, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for me. He didn't expect me to clean myself up and come to him. He said, come to me and I will clean you up. Amen? There's a huge difference. And this is the only religion that teaches this. And it's the only one that's correct. God showed, I didn't say that, Jesus did. Then he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said that. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And then look at Paul's argument here. Since therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, meaning he gave us his righteousness and took our unrighteousness, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So here he says, I 
saved you. It's salvation. And the end is wrath of God, what people without Christ deserve to pay for their sins. He said, I've saved you from that. So he saved us for salvation. And look, he saved us for heaven. How many of y'all believe you're going to heaven when you die? Because you have Christ, right? So you've been saved over here, right? And you're not in heaven yet because you're here. Some of y'all are probably praying for the rapture because it's quarter after already, but you're saved and one day you're going to be in heaven forever, right? Why do we, for some reason, think it takes God's grace and power to save us? How many of y'all think it's going to take God's grace and power to get you into heaven? Yeah, and transform you and bring you to heaven. When you die, Chuck, when you're laying there, no breath, no nothing, what are you going to do to get yourself into heaven? Absolutely nothing. You're trusting him. So you've trusted him for salvation. You're trusting him for glorification. Why are we not trusting him for the middle? Why do we still think we got to do something here? All, what did he ask his disciples to do? He said, when he walked by and they had lucrative fishing business, what did they ask him to do? Yeah, follow. Just follow. If you're following, hey, Tom, if you're following, do you know where you're going? If you're following, do you know how long it's going to be? Do you know, do you, what do you know when you're following? Just that you're following, right? That's it. You ever feel like that in the grocery store with her, or does she feel like that with you? Oh, when you go in the Polish grocery store, that's probably how she feels with you, man, right? Yeah, but yeah, following means we're just following. We don't know anything. We're just following. And when we do that, he get, we're walking in his grace. He's given us everything we need to do, whatever he's calling us to do, but we got to follow. We just follow. And, and he's not going to unsave us. If he's got us at salvation and he's got us at glorification, we're there. Yeah. how many of y'all think you can mess God's plan up? All right, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all think that you could possibly mess God's plan up? Let me see your hand. Honestly, just be honest with me. I know there's somebody. All right, Katie, I raise your hand up, Katie. And who else? Who else thinks you can mess God's plan up? Come on. Okay, good. Bree, thank you. And I see MJ over here. Who else? Anybody over here? Okay, I'm just going to say this for all of you. You're not that big. <laughs> you can't mess his plan up. He did, not, he did not Paul say in Philippians, he who began a good work in you, what did he say? He's going to complete it. Now, it doesn't mean by mess, not following him in sanctification, you don't beat the crud out of yourself, Katie. You know, if, you're, if, if people are following you on a paddle tour, are you leading them through briars? And are you, do you want them to get hurt? I did, but no, I'm just saying, no, I'm joking. No, no. I used to make them jump over branches, but no, uh, you, you don't want them to bang their head on the mangroves. You don't, you, uh, you don't, if you see a kid taking one of your paddles and beating his head with the paddle, what are you going to do? Hey, stop. That's not good for you. That's God. You, you just want them to follow, and you're going to take them in the nicest path even so they come back. <laughs> you're going to take them on a path with least amount of current, but yet, unless they are on a workout tour, but they just follow you. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how long it's going to be. They're just digging the ride. That's what we're supposed to do with Christ. Just dig the ride. You can't mess God's plan up. Whether you enjoy the ride or not depends on whether you walk in the Spirit or not. But if you're truly saved, you're truly born again, man, hey, it, it, Abby, Mavi, Mavi's your son, right? Little Maverick, y'all know Maverick? He's your son, right? 
is there anything Maverick could ever do to not be your son? Forever he's your son, right? Okay, and even in, at the end of his life, he's going to be your son, right? What would deter, oh, let's even go with Marley. Is Marley your son? And, 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 and he's always going to be your son, right? But is there anything Marley could do to have a good life as opposed to having a miserable life? What would that be? Yeah, it, it, well, try, yeah, trusting, trusting you. Uh, what, what if Marley all of a sudden starts lying and sneaking around on you and, and, you know, all those things? What would your relationship with him be like? Oh, no, man, we're throwing, t- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Dusty Rose. Anybody remember Dusty Rose? Yeah, I knew y'all would, man, but yeah. And that's the way it is with God. We're his child. There's nothing we can do to not be his child. Now, whether we're going to dig the right or not depends on our obedience. And he's given us the grace. Are you trying to make it possible for Marley to obey you? Yeah. Everything you can possibly do to get Marley to obey you, right? But if he chooses not to, he's going to get hurt. <laughs> and, and how do you feel when he does that? Oh, he probably hasn't done it yet. Never mind. Can't ask yet. No. But your heart will break, right? You want him to have the best. If you, as a sinful parent, want Marley to have the best life, how much more would Almighty God, who is perfect, want you to have the best life? You know what I'm saying? So that's it. There's nothing they can do to change. They're always going to be your kids. You're always going to be God's kid. Now, you want to have a good time while you're here? And I'm talking about a good spiritual time, the good time that God designed for you. Obey him. Follow him. But there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So he's going to save us from the wrath. He he saved us and now he's going to glorify us. Um, Check out this next verse. For if while we were what? Oh, some of y'all still don't believe you were were an enemy to God. While we were what? Everybody say that. I, I was a... Most people don't think of themselves as an enemy to God. But here's what the word of God says in this. All right. Um, they might think at, bare, at worst they're neutral with God because they don't try to outdo God. They don't try to thwart God. They don't really even care about God. But until you're born again, all you can satisfy is the flesh. And Paul's going to tell us later in Romans that by only satisfying the flesh, you are a sinner and you're an enemy to God. God says you're either with him or you're against him. He says we are enemies. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. So did God, hey, Brad, did God wait for you to become his friend to say, oh, hey, come on aboard and come into my kingdom? No, you were an enemy. He, he, through his love, loved you as an enemy and brought you into his kingdom. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. By the way, what's the only way to be reconciled to God? Through the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While we were enemies, so our life, we're going to be saved. You're going to continue to be saved. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Look at the next part here. More than that, all right, and this is the last verse, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in what? In other words, what's the, Matthew, what's the greatest part about being saved? It says, look at this, uh, deer in the headlights, man. Hang on, I'm going to walk you through this one, Matthew. And Gary, help him out, man. Look at this. More than that, we also rejoice in what? In God. Look, Gary just going, yeah. (laughs) Rejoice in God. That's the greatest part of being saved is having a relationship with almighty God. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He's made us in God no longer enemies. And you're never going to be God's enemy again. You go back and read this. You go back and study this. You go back and look at the word eternal life and tell me how you can lose it. Now, what people are talking about when they say, oh, you're a once saved, only saved person, or once saved, always saved, once saved, man, they're talking about people that never got saved to begin with. You get saved. How many of you, when you got saved, Christ changed your life? Yeah. If he didn't change your life, maybe you didn't get saved. And again, I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. But dude, again, like sticking your tongue into that light socket, you know whether someone did it or not, right, Ethan? Because there's a change. That's just 110 volts, right? Stick your life into the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and tell me how you don't get changed. It has to happen. And that's what he says will happen. So you, if you're questioning it, good. Question it. Go back to the Word of God. Because you know what? When I kept seeing, when I have all these conversations and people are like, oh, well, one, you're one saved, well saved. What about this person who did this and then they did this? What about this person and then they did this and they did? You know what the conversation ends up being all about? What these people did and not about what the Word of God says. You look at what the Word of God says and you figure out whether you got saved or not. Did you come to a point in your life where you realized you were a sinner? You realized that you had earned a penalty by that sin. You earned eternal separation from God, and there was nothing you could do to change that. And you realize that what Christ did out of love, as the only one who could, came and lived a perfect life on this earth so he could give you that perfect life. But on the cross, he took the penalty, all your spankings for your sins. He took them all as if he was unrighteous, and then he gave you his righteous life. And if you have the ability to believe that, to truly believe that, you're saved. The Holy Spirit's given you the ability to believe that. And what he says, if you believe that, then you believe what he says. And that's how you choose to live, because the way he tells you to live is so different than the way your flesh and this world wants to. So you believe him for salvation, but you believe him the whole way as he's trying to make you more like him. And in heaven, you will be like him. So man, check it out with the Holy Spirit. Are you saved? If you are, know that once you're saved, if you're truly saved, you're always saved. Besides, man, if you think you're big enough to lose your salvation, but it took God's power to save you, and God's power to get you there, man, you're, you got an awful big picture of who you think you are. You're not that big. You can't do that. And you're also shrinking a mighty, awesome God that's not able to keep you saved. Because you can search all through the New Testament, and the one who started this work in you, he's going to complete it. So if you're saved, don't ever let the devil convince you you're not, because then you'll be serving him in hopes that you'll be saved instead of serving him because you're in love with the one who gave you something you didn't deserve, gave you more than you deserved, and gave you eternal life free. That's what we're supposed to be serving is out of love, not out of guilt 
and out of owing him anything. So fall in love with him and have revival in Romans. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and thanks for this passage. And uh, Father, I know that your Holy Spirit will take these words and put them in the hearts of, uh, put them in each of our hearts. Father, I pray that each person walks away knowing they have heard from you today, something they've heard from you today. And I pray whatever it is that you're speaking to our heart about, I pray that we would um, take that and we would implement it into our lives. What a privilege it is to hear from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, hear from God Almighty. I pray if there's somebody who's not sure whether they're saved or not, that Father, um, today would be the day that they are sure, the day where they surrender everything they know about Christ to everything they know about themselves. And Father, um, I pray then they would know that was eternal. Father, I pray that we would all know that we know that we know what we have from you and how awesome it is. And it would cause us to fall more in love with you because we do crazy things for people we're in love with. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.